Well, good morning. Uh, just a word for the singers and the players. They brought my heart to the Lord this morning. I trust they did yours as well. Would you just thank them for what they do? <clears throat> I am Rick, or Rick Pa, whichever one you want to call me, <clears throat> but I am not Mr. Lloyd, okay? So let's just get that okay. It's a privilege to talk with you this morning, and I want to start by asking you a very sober question. And for some of you, there will be uh, instant memories of these very things we're going to suggest. And for some of you, you have watched them from afar. And for some of you, as you age, you will experience them, or you will certainly watch them. So here's the question that I want to ask you for just a moment. I want you to think about it. Have you ever willfully, willfully, knowingly, with sobriety, taken on an assignment or an appointment or a task that you knew going into it, it was going to be extremely challenging. And it was going to be tough. And the fact of the matter is, there were going to be circumstances that you knew when you walked into it, you knew there were things that you would not be able to control. And that's a sober thought. You see something, you're compelled to join and to offer help, to step into the fire, so to speak, but you have that concurrent awareness that the outcome is in, uh, in question. You can only do what you can do, but you've decided you're going to do what you can do. You see the gravity and the urgency of the situation and people who actually are in peril. And whether they know it or not, this is highly consequential. And you know that if you step into it, the goal is to provide a remedy or to remove the threat or to secure the safety of a person or a group of persons. And there is in you a real sobriety about what you're doing, and yet you choose to do it. Have you ever been in that place? Now let me give you some, while you're thinking about that, let me give you some examples of people who actually spend a lot of time in that place. It's a choice that they made sometime long ago and they fulfill it. Members of the U.S. Armed, Source, Armed Source Forces have been in that place. Firefighters, police, paramedics have been in that place. Parents have been there on behalf of children who were struggling. Some of you parents have been there. But you decided to step into it. Even if you didn't know exactly what to do, you decided to show up. By the way, parenthetically, let me just tell you, parents. Most important thing I've learned about being a parent is show up. Has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not I have all the skills or tools necessary to solve the situation or resolve it. That's not the point. The point is the power of your personal presence in it. And being able to say, I don't have a clue where this is going but we're going to make the journey together. And you can count on that. So many other examples. Spouses who pray and work and are willing to step in the gap, 
and try to rescue their spouse. See, these are sober things. They're highly consequential things. And choices have to be made in the middle of highly consequential things. Somebody's got to stand in the gap. And for those of you who have done so and those of you who will do so, you're going to be applauded. That's powerful. It's a huge thing. To walk out the door and say, I don't know what's on the other side, but here we go. I'm going to get in it. But you know, of all those examples, there's one example that certainly rises far and above anything that we might talk about on this plane. A life and a death example, literally. And one person who made the consummate sacrifice to step into it. To step into it. And quite frankly, far more overwhelming, far more consequential than even those very sober things that I just mentioned. In fact, you could take all of those very sober things that I just mentioned and what this one person did trumps them all in terms of consequence and future. He saw the need. He stepped into the arena. He knew the cost. And he gave himself willingly to secure life, to reduce and erase the threat, and to provide hope for those who absolutely had none. You would know his name. It's Jesus. That's what he did. He stood in the gap, willfully stepping in with an incredibly powerful commitment, something that we can't comprehend, and decisions made that we don't understand and won't for a long time. But he stepped in the gap. And he would tell you today, and we will find out face to face with him one of these days, he would tell you today, if I may, so to speak, put words in his mouth, it was worth it. It was worth it. Was it easy? No. Was it highly consequential for him? Yes. Was there blood, sweat, and tears? And was there frustration? And was there correction? And was there threat against? And all of those things were present. But there was not one moment of wavering in His commitment to stay in it all the way to the end. Because it mattered that much. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Galatians. You got your, or you got your phone, got your Bible, or you've memorized it. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Those of you who have memorized it, I want, to, I want you to stand up and we're going to applaud you, okay? <laughs> Galatians chapter 6. <clears throat> I have not yet memorized the whole thing, but I'm working on it. We're going to finish the study of Galatians today. And you know, many of you have been here for the whole book, and it's incredible. Uh, it's a dramatic theme it's a fatherly appeal from the Apostle Paul to believers who lived in Galatia. And they were young believers. And he had uh, made many efforts to support and to undergird and to stabilize these believers in Galatia. But he had become aware of disruption. And he'd become aware of problems that were 
uh, alarming those young believers. And so he takes this letter and he goes straight at it, long distance. Now imagine that, long distance. Most of us feel the urgency in a situation where people are in peril. It's kind of like, I got to get there. You know, get me the first plane or car or whatever it is. I got to get there. But Paul knew that he could not get there. And so he is writing as a father, but also as a teacher and also as a guide and also as a role model to protect something that's extremely important. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. In the passage, chapter 6, verse 11 through 18, we're going to read it here in just a second. Paul himself, remember this, Paul himself had such a background and a perspective because he himself had met this Jesus face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, a real encounter that changed him forever. It redirected the entire trajectory of his life, his thinking, his heart, his will, his sense of who he was and what he was about and what he was not. So this is significant for him to write because he writes with the voice of personal experience face-to-face with the Lord Jesus. And if I could summarize the message that the Apostle Paul writes in all six of those chapters, here's the message. And while it's going to seem really obvious to you, I can tell you that uh, at my advanced years, by the way, I am the old version, my son David, my son Aaron, they are the new and improved versions, okay? They're the new. But I've been around long enough to understand that this very simple point is highly consequential. And that is nothing more and nothing less than Jesus and Jesus only. That's it. Nothing more and nothing less a straight road for us to follow. It's all about Jesus. And anyone who would seek to disrupt that in my life or in your life, I've got to have the discernment and then the courage to address it. And not allow myself to be influenced unduly by dissonant voices. I don't know if you know this or not. It may come as a surprise. But in the culture in which we live, there are a lot of dissonant voices. Even inside the American church, whatever brand it is. A lot of dissonant voices. And so I would would just give you as a word of friendly encouragement, be a really good steward of what you're listening to. Be a really good steward of what's being taught because the amount of noise is immense. You know that. And the amount of confusion in the noise is even higher. You know, there's a quote that I came across just the other day. I'm going to give it to you real quick. 
talks about discernment. Here's the quote. Discernment is not knowing right from wrong. It's not knowing right from wrong. Discernment is knowing right from almost right. Think about that. And in a world of dissonance and discord and all kinds of messaging coming even into the believing community, we must be discerning. We must hold on to the anchor. Stand on the rock. Every metaphor that I can think of. We've got to take personal responsibility for what we're listening to and what it means. And that's exactly what the heart of Paul was while he's writing to these believers in Galatia. He is reminding them of the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. And he is calling them urgently to stay right there to be discerning and to make wise choices with respect to what they are being taught. So, let's look at the passage. 11th verse of the 6th chapter. See with what large letters I use in writing it to you with my own hand. And by the way, there's a lot of questions about exactly what that means. Were his eyes getting bad? And so he's just writing so he can see what he's writing. Right? And kind of be clarified by that. Or was he writing it big for emphasis sake? To say to the believers in Galatia when they got the letter, look, I'm in this with you. I'm writing this with my own hand. Typically Paul would have had a scribe who would write for him and then he would sign it at the bottom and it comes on. But he's writing this letter, likely the entire letter, because he wants them to know, I'm here for you. I'm in this. I'm not assigning this to somebody else to take my place. This matters so much that if I could be there, I'd be there face to face. But since I can't, I'm writing it personally. This matters. That's a powerful, powerful thing. Verse 12. He says, those who want to make a good impression outwardly. He's talking about the Judaizers. And if you've been here for the whole series, you know that these were folks who had been very committed to their Jewish faith. They were Jews and they were committed to their Jewish faith. But they'd come to a place where they determined that uh, instead of by grace through faith, it was a combination of grace through faith and the law. And so their messaging was that you need to be circumcised. That was the symbol that they elected to hammer and hammer and hammer. And say, yeah, you know, Jesus and all that, that's great and good. But you need to be circumcised in compliance with the law. Because that is necessary for all of this to actually come together. And so infiltrating that group, and I guess maybe that's a harsh word, but that's how it feels when you read what Paul says about it. It feels like he thought they were infiltrating and trying willfully to... Uh, Mess up the nest. So it's a sober conversation that he's having. And he says, those who want to make a good impression, these Judaizers, outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, quickly, what that means is, in their day and time, these Judaizers 
they were, there was some tension for them because it's pretty apparent that something about the gospel had drawn them and they may well have made a commitment to Christ. But if they had or whether they were just kind of trying to figure out some other scheme and nobody really knows because we weren't there. But they are confusing two really significant issues. And because of the culture from which they come, right? From the culture from which they come, it was pressure. If they go all in for Jesus only, they're going to catch it from all of the rest of the Jews. And I mean seriously catch it. This was not a, this was not a uh, well, that's just a little nuisance, huh? You're in or out. There's not any in between here. So they're trying to actually to find a way to create kind of a semi-hybrid message of salvation by pulling in here and pulling in here. And then also, they apparently kind of got kind of cocky about it and wanted to become authorities and wanted to have high influence and actually became proud, as we'll read in a minute, of how many people they could get to convert and be circumcised. So there's a lot of weird things happening here. But Paul has the wisdom to see straight through every bit of it and to be that clarion call to what we said earlier. Nothing more and nothing less than Jesus only. Point of focus. Now, there's a lot of folks who want to create a hybrid message. You know that. There's a lot of hybrid messages out there. Jesus is great, and this, but so-and-so is too, and this is great, and distortion of Scripture, and all that kind of stuff. Everybody making up their own kind of version. And many people think that that is a signal of process, that we're evolving, so to speak, into higher learning and higher understanding. When the truth of the matter is... There are some things foundational that will never change. Regardless of what the culture or the world says, they never change. They are the cornerstone. They are the rock. They are the source of our strength. They are our assurance. And by the way, let me, let me just remind you, you know we have an enemy, right? He is the enemy of your soul and the enemy of my soul. So the people around us who are trying to create hybrid things and mixed messaging, I'm not, I can't tell you that they're bad people. I don't know them. But I can tell you that they are unaware of the consequence of what they are doing. And wouldn't it make sense to you that the enemy of our souls would willfully, intentionally fuel and feed every little distortion that could take you from, here you are right now, okay? You're rock solid. I look at you young people. Man, watching you all love each other and the camaraderie that you have and your faith in the Lord Jesus and your passion for Him. Whew, that's precious. You hold on to that. Stay together. Because the minute something comes along that doesn't sound quite right, our tendency generally is to try to be polite and kind. And Well, I don't know about that, etc. But I want you to know that you have the freedom and actually the responsibility to see where the line is drawn and stand. 
regardless of who the voice is. Wouldn't it make sense that the enemy would facilitate distortions of the gospel? Why? Because if he can if he can pull you this far off, okay. But you know how those things typically go? This far off leads to this far off. Because these things grow exponentially. And these distortions grow exponentially. And some of them sound so good that they're just kind of easy to buy. This is exactly what was happening for these young believers in Galatia. And so, if I may uh, say it Rick's way, Paul's furious. <laughs> I mean, he is. He's sober. He's saddened. He's angry, righteously angry. But he is dead serious about calling it out. Why? Because he wanted to be the big dog? No. Because your soul is at risk. Galatians. We don't think about that too much. These people were in peril because of what the enemy was doing. And Paul said, I'm going to interrupt that. You might like it, you might not. But I cannot withhold the truth from you. There is too much at stake. So, the passage. And by the way, verse 13, look at this. Paul knows what's going on and he's got good information. You can tell that as you read him. But he said, not even those who are circumcised obey the law. He's saying that this group of Judaizers who's telling you to do all this kind of stuff, look, let's get real. They're not even obeying the law that they're talking about. They're just trying to create something hybrid to ease their own discomfort and to prevent persecution by their own people. It's a crazy thing. But people do crazy things. Paul then says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, a really little important thing, I think this will help you. When Paul says, I'm not going to boast in anything except Christ, the word boast is a, uh, it actually has a different meaning. And the meaning is worship. Did you know that? That's what the actual meaning is, worship. I'm going to worship the Lord Jesus and I'm going to proclaim Him. And He's the only one I'm going to proclaim because He's the only one who gives me life. And He's enough all by Himself. So I'm going to boast Him. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to laud Him. I'm going to tell others about Him and His great glory and His power and the changes that He's made in my life and the changes He can make in your life. That's what I'm going to do. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to actually worship and praise and I'm going to proclaim Him. But this has never been about me, Paul would say. It's never been about me. It's not about me now. It's not about how good I am, how smart I am, how many followers I have. It has nothing to do with that. It's I'm telling the story of Jesus because it's the only one that matters. I'm going to stay on focus. And he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Whew. Look at that. What counts 
is a transformed heart. And who can do that? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Just Jesus. He brings life from death. He brings hope from hopelessness. He calms fear. He assures that you are His and He is yours, whatever the circumstances. Aaron said a while ago, there are circumstances in this room right now that we don't even know about, but they're difficult. And you need the peace that passes understanding. And the direct source for that peace is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Along with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because what does the Holy Spirit do? He brings to mind everything that Jesus ever taught. He reminds you. You are His. You are safe. You are sealed. You are secure. Keep your eyes on Him and don't let anybody pull you away. I'm kind of fired up about this message. Discernment. Not knowing right from wrong, but knowing right from almost right. It's very important. Can you sense? You get a sense in this. I, I'm feeble in communicating, but do you get a sense in this of Paul's legitimate passion, love, and deep, deep care for these young believers? You get a sense of that? I mean, you just feel it. This guy is all in for the young believer. But it's not limited to that. He was all in. If you read his letters, he was all in for the very veteran believers, the very elderly believers, and had respect and honored them and wanted to protect them because they had a role just as much as anybody else did. You see that he had tremendous compassion for these young people. In fact, let me lead, read for you really, really quick. Um, a quick, pas a quick passage from Ephesians. It's Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there if you want, or I can just read it for you. It's Ephesians chapter 2. And this is Paul writing to at the church at Ephesus. And by the way, this particular one was a cyclical letter. It, act it says it's written to the Ephesians, but the truth of the matter is it was copied and went all over the place. So it just happened to be this copy that we have is the one that was sent specifically to the Ephesians. As for you, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He could have been saying this to the Galatians. You were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. See, the enemy was at work in Ephesus just as he was in Galatia. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cra cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love, God, who is rich in mercy, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. 
when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised up us with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness towards us in Christ for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and that's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, including circumcision, that no one should boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He has prepared for us. It is Jesus and Jesus only. Now the question is, when was the last time you thought about it? And it's not, that's not a judgmental statement. I'm just asking honestly. We're in a crazy world. It's been an upheaval for more than a year. So just in the routine and normal everyday life, how often do you think about the fact that it's Jesus only? I would suggest to you that if you can give a little more time every day to focusing on Jesus only, it's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your perspective. It's going to solidify you in hard things. But the less that we focus on this Jesus-only mindset and Jesus as absolutely enough, the less we focus on that, the more our hearts tend to grow cold and callous and we drift. So part of the stewardship of our lives is to not only believe intellectually that Jesus only is enough, but to pursue Him in that manner every single day in some way, shape, or form. Not just check the box. I mean engage. Engage with the Savior. With the One who raised you from death to life. I think Paul had one additional motivation. We'll finish up. An even deeper motivation. And that was simply this. Paul knew, and the Galatians were beginning to learn, but you know, this takes a little while for all of us to process. Paul knew that Jesus actually, His death was required, required, for us to have life. You know, substitutionary atonement just simply means that Jesus took our place. All of the penalty for all of our sin was cast upon Him. And by His death and crucifixion, by His obedience to the Father, He bore the weight of all sin so that we could be free to be welcomed in the arms of God as His sons and daughters. Sometimes He made us free. Just remember to qualify that free, okay? It doesn't mean free to do anything we want to do. It means free to explore and become everything He desired for us to be. That's what the freedom is. To live the life He designed for us to live and bought and paid for by His own blood. He paid a debt He didn't owe. We owed a debt we could not pay. How does that impact you today? 
I hope it grabs your heart. I hope it moves you in a new, fresh direction because it matters forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the passion that the Apostle Paul demonstrates for us here, his great deep concern and love for the Galatians and his willingness to step in the gap and do the hard thing, knowing from a distance he couldn't control it. But Father, for much farther than that, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you took on an assignment that trumps any other assignment in all of human history. And because you were willing to step in the gap, we can be saved and we can be free to be who you intended us to be as your children. Help us to be really good stewards of that. Help us to be focused on who you are today. Don't let us drift. Don't let us drift. Don't let us forget what you have given to us and are giving to us and will give to us. It empowers us. It emboldens us. It comforts us. It brings the energy back to life to see that we're connected, to know that we're connected, to pursue that connection. It brings us back to life. For every one of you in this room who maybe have never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, He's available to you. And staff members from this church are going to be right up here at the front to meet you, speak with you, counsel with you. They can't, they can't do a spiritual thing for you, but they can walk with you in a journey towards Jesus. Or maybe you just want to come up here and pray. Or maybe you want to join the church, whatever that is. Be responsive to the voice of the King, Jesus, only Jesus, because He is absolutely enough. Father, thank You for these moments now. In Jesus' name, amen.